I said, the main takeaway we hope educators gain from reading is empowerment, which is on point. We Because the whole point is to empower teachers with this new technology. In this episode, I was fortunate enough to sit down with Amanda Fox. Amanda is the globe-trotting co-author of The AI Classroom, The Ultimate Guide to Artificial Intelligence in Education. This is the number one best-selling book on the topic on Amazon currently. Amanda is a lifelong educator, is passionate about the use of technology and more recently artificial intelligence to empower our students in their learning journeys. She also works with Curipod, C-U-R-I-P-O-D.com. You can check them out. And for listeners of this podcast, a limited time offer. If you sign up for a trial membership and you put in Curicon, C-U-R-I-C-O-N, it will give you three free months of use on the Curipod platform. Amanda talks about Curipod in more depth in this interview. Suffice it to say, I'll leave it to her to explain it more accurately. And we will link all this information in the show notes for this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to this dedicated expert, author, and educator as much as I did recording this episode. Welcome to the Superintendent's Hangout, where we discuss topics in education, charter schools, life in general, and not necessarily in that order. I'm your host, Dr. Sharetta. Come on in and hang out. Welcome, Amanda. I really appreciate you joining me remotely here. I know you've been traveling around the world on your jet-setting AI tour, so appreciate you making the time today. I'm super excited to be here. Uh, not Well, I, I guess I did just come back from Norway, uh, which has been a wonderful experience. I got to hang out with the Curapod team, which I'll talk a little bit about Curapod later, but it's an AI educational platform. And boy, uh, the biggest thing I took away was there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. <laughs> well, I, I know you travel a fair amount because I follow you on Twitter and you're always changing your city route that you take. And once in a while, I see a European country pop up in there. And so we can talk about kind of like if that's a direct outgrowth of the publishing of the book and all those pieces. Um, but uh, let's see, I think the best place to get started, if you could just share what your origin story is, where you come from, um, who you are as a person, uh, and what brings you to this present moment and the fact that we're having this chat today? Well, it was a rainy day back in 1984. I'm, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm telling my age now. No, I'm so I'm from Savannah, Georgia, and I grew up there up until uh, 2016. And my background was my my college background is in education. So I actually went to college to become a teacher. I knew early on that I wanted to teach, and I also knew that I wanted to be a writer. So um, I'm, I'm one of those fortunate people who have kind of got to do everything they wanted to when they grew up, and I'm still waiting to grow up, So, uh, or feel like a grown-up at least. So in, um, I've been teaching for a little over a decade. I've taught everything from 
uh, history and the humanities, English language arts from mostly focused in, in middle grades to high school education. And I got the pleasure of helping start the STEM Academy, which was the, f- the first real STEM-focused school in Georgia, which went on to uh, have accolades from FETC, the Future Educational Technology Conference, and win the STEM Excellence Award. Um, I have a master's in learning design and technology with a focus on technology and instructional design. And I, I like to think of myself as a technophile. People are like, why don't you just say techie? And I'm like, because I'm a logophile too. I love words. So I want to use the whole word. So uh, this this love of literature, writing, technology, um, and and a marketing background. I was, I was actually, I did marketing before I, I finally slid into education. But um, all of these things kind of came together to uh, create the right conditions to write, you know, the most recent book, The AI Classroom, which launched in March. Just the just the the background of, of loving technology and, and learning how to integrate it into the classroom, taking new things. And um, in 2016, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky. I started Steampunks EDU, which was an after school program that leveraged new technologies. And, and our tagline was education with edge. Because technology typically starts out on the peripheral of education, and my philosophy was adopting it early and figuring out how it fits into our pedagogical foundations and helps uh, bridge gaps, uh, create personalized learning, and engage students in authentic ways that that build them ready for future-ready skills. In 2017, I started my own publishing company that um, had to do with uh, AR literacy, bringing literacy to littles through augmented reality experiences and books that kept them wanting to come back. And um, we know 2020, the pandemic happened. Um, My after-school program did not survive the pandemic, but uh, my love for education did. So I went back into the classroom. And um, between 2019 and 20, I guess now, 2023, I wrote Teaching Land, with, uh, which is the classroom or the teacher's guide, survival guide to the classroom apocalypse in, in 2019, which was which was about a, a virus that was about to plague the educational system and force us to embrace digital technologies. And I, I don't want to say I'm a soothsayer and I don't want to be pl- blamed for the pandemic, but um, I, think, I think I would have made more money off that book if I would have published it in 2020. That's right. uh, the Canva classroom came out and then... Um, the AI classroom in in March of this year. And that brings me to where I met you, which was at uh, San Diego Q. So since the AI classroom has come out, there's been a lot of uh, demand for um, professional development around AI integration, AI adoption, and AI technology. Yeah. And I want to just thank... uh our mutual friend and colleague, Eric Cross, for introducing us uh, at San Diego Q. And, and um, he, you were very gracious in agreeing right away to uh, come on the podcast. So I really appreciate that and, and really enjoyed your session that you delivered on that at that conference as well. Um, can you share with listeners the process that you went through I know you've you've authored three books, uh, but focusing on the most recent one first, the process that you went through and thinking about and then bringing to reality the AI classroom, uh, the ultimate guide, uh, and it's also co-authored. So there's a 
I'm sure, a collaborative piece. How did that look? And at what point did you decide to do it? Especially, I'm interested in the fact that you're kind of jumping onto a train that's moving so quickly. It It is. So November 2022, or I would, let's, let's go back, October 2022, AI was kind of... Um, kind of seamlessly and and shadowily like integrated into our everyday lives like it wasn't a focal point and then November 2022 chat GPT came out and kind of shook up the world and uh shook up educators and being an early adopter and 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 I just wanted to play so I started playing with it and as I as I started playing with it I'm like oh my gosh like this is going to be the most amazing thing in the whole wide world. And then there were other educators that like, like the worst thing in the whole wide world. Yeah. And uh, by January of uh, 2023, I, I, uh, I really started seeing the true power of how it could uh, be beneficial to students and teachers. So I started getting on Twitter and looking for other thought, you know, thought leaders in, in AI, because at this point we're all amateurs. We're still amateurs with AI. Right, um, right. I mean, I, like I, I, uh, refrain from calling myself an expert because it's so new. None of us, none of us are experts in it right now. And I just wanted people who were, who were moving at my speed, like just, you know, digesting AI, how, how we could use it to transform education. And I found Dan, Dan Fitzpatrick, and the stuff that he was tweeting was just mind blowing. So I was like, I have to talk to him. <laughs> so I approached him and I was like, hey, Dan, how would you feel about writing a book? And he was like, well, I don't know. We should talk about this. So um, ultimately, uh, what happened is that uh, he he said yes. And um, like I agreed to co-author it with him. A lot of his views resonated with mine and my perspectives and uh, we began we began talking through and realized the immense potential that AI would hold in reshaping how students learn and how teachers instruct, and that kind of motivated us to um, kind of demystify what AI was to other teachers. I know it's approached with a fear or you know head in the sand or full embrace. There's then there's that middle ground of like, well, I'm going to play with it, but my students can't play with it, which is which is a safe approach. So what we wanted to do was kind of create a comprehensive guide that took teachers through the history of AI and the experience that we had just playing with it. And we were hoping that whatever we wrote, you know, we we had no idea at the time how popular the book would be and, and, and the impact that it would have, but we were hoping that it would empower educators to, um, I guess, use use its power to benefit students in their classrooms. I'm fascinated by ref- reflecting upon something as transformative as artificial intelligence in the context of a profession that in many, many ways has not changed appreciably in over a hundred years. You know, you can you can go back in time and find articles that rail against like the evils of of um you know, whiteboards instead of chalkboards, and they're going to change education for the worse. And you can, there are these little things that come up and people go, oh, this is going to ruin it. Even the internet has not changed many of the structural pieces around a teacher in a classroom delivering and students receiving. Obviously, there's some 
varieties on that of that theme, but that's still I, I always contend that you could probably travel around, certainly in the United States, most places parachute into classrooms. And in many of the classrooms right now, there's a teacher talking and kids receiving or kids doing things. And when you ask them why, they say, because the teachers asked them to do it. Mm-hmm. In that context, what do you see as the most transformative potential of AI in, in our profession going forward? So I think that if you if you go into a classroom anywhere, you're going to see a lot of the same things that you saw from years ago. The technology may have changed, but ultimately the sitting... Sorry. Maggie and Bear say hello. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Maggie's a little schnauzer who's very barky and Bear's a 100-pound golden doodle. And they are a, a, a prime, like example of, of how two unlike things can can be besties and work together like AI and education. Yeah, that was a bad metaphor. But anyway, <laughs> so AI is uh AI is kind of revolutionizing the way we envision lesson creation. I would say uh personalized learning experiences um for teachers, um automating repetitive tasks, offering real-time feedback. Um, and and this is this is feedback to students. I remember being a uh, English teacher and having 125 papers that I'd have to grade. And it's Friday, and I had to have them done by Monday. I'd go by um, Trader Joe's, pick up a bottle for a buck chuck, and start grading. And that was my weekend. So um, one of the powers or, or the transformative powers is if if we look historically from um, no child left behind, a race to the top, like accountability and high stakes testing has been um, an increasing weight that teachers have carried, um, prepping students, teaching to the test, and uh, just, you know, all the data that we have to collect, that we have to analyze. And now we have AI at our fingertips. And I know there are concerns with privacy, but for me, one of the, one of the greatest benefits that we have of, of artificial intelligence is the ability to um, automate these these administrative tasks to get some time back. So uh, a lot of teachers are, you know, just traveling to different states and different countries. One of the resounding fears that I've heard is, oh, this is going to create lazy students. You know, they're going to use AI to cheat or uh, this is going to suck the creativity out of out of humans. And um, I like to do a word cloud at the beginning of any of my sessions to kind of ask, what do they think about when they think of AI? It's all, and a lot of times it is a time saver that pops up. Um, they think robots, Skynet, of course, but um, on on the peripheral and smaller little subtext, it's like, you know, becoming less human, um, cheat, you know, the cheating aspect and I think that uh, the most revolutionary aspect of it is when we start thinking about it in a way where AI becomes a collaborator, it becomes a a personal assistant, and it uh, it, it just helps helps teachers with their workload. It's an interesting, it sounds like when you describe the three rough groupings of early adopters, then you've got the middle, the cautious middle, then you have the real safe uh, folks. It sounds like that argument is good for probably the middle, right? The early mm-hmm. adopters have already figured it out. It's yep. good, for, good for the middle. Um, what do we 
do for the folks who are like in the seventh inning of their careers and say, you know what? I, I went to school for this. I love my overhead projector with my whatever acetone sheets with my pen that gets blurry and gets all over my dress shirt every day. That's what I'm comfortable with. Screw the rest of you guys. Do you think that those people eventually, assuming that they just stay in that course and don't um, ad adapt at all, do they get become pretty irrelevant in the educational conversation? So one of one of the most popular things that I hear is that AI is not going to replace teachers, but AI using educator will. Um, I want to take that a step further. Um, mm. I think. I think this group of educators that um, is stubborn, they don't want to shift their pedagogies. They, they, they're, like you said, they're in their seventh, eighth inning. Um, I've had those teachers in my sessions and they have light bulb moments. Like when they really see the power of, of AI feedback in action, they're like, whoa. Or, or when they, um, they see a lesson plan generated using a proper prompt and actually get them to get in and tinker. Um, but those are the teachers that aren't going to necessarily explore on their own. They need a little bit of handholding. And for those teachers um, that want to grade 125 papers on the weekend or um, do things the old fashioned way, uh, be the sage on the stage. My, my thing for them is those days are over. Information is at our students' fingertips. We're in a world where AI exists and it's it's not that they're irrelevant. It's just that what are they offering their students? Um, a lot of teachers say that, you know, they're going to use AI to cheat. But um, there's a there's a I, I troll Facebook groups on AI looking for these comments because I like to read the banter back and forth. And one uh, one teacher, Mark Laudy, he he posted, well, if if a student can use AI to cheat through high school and again through college. And then get a job successfully making six figures, then are we not cheating them by not teaching them future ready skills or how to live and work with AI in their professional and personal lives? And um, for for the teachers who are, who are being stubborn and who shift to change, I just I fear that uh, sticking to their ways is is almost in a way sacrificing opportunities and the the ability to equip students for for the life that they actually live in versus the life that those teachers grew up in. Yeah, that's a, a really good point. It's it's striking to me because I think the early thinkers on this believed that AI was going to start to transform society, kind of from the most basic blue collar jobs up. So like it's going to do away with, you know, long haul truckers and and, you know, more manufacturing is often automated anyway. But uh, the kind of jobs that you perhaps don't need a college degree for. But what's been so fascinating to me is to see that it's it's in our profession. And I have a friend who's a corporate lawyer and he uses chat GPT every day um, not to not to press a button and then email the result off to one of his clients and charge him for two hours of work, but to do some of the heavy lifting around trans transposing notes that were taken in a phone call that's the yeah. humans into a letter, a draft letter that then he can turn around and further personalize and send off. And he just saved himself an hour and saved an hour of fees to the client. Like to me, that just makes sense. 
I've I've been using um, AI. I actually put a disclaimer in my signature that this email was AI assisted. Uh, I, I use it. I just the amount of time it would take me to sit and draft an email. Like it, it would take me 15 minutes to 15, 20 minutes to appropriately like go through spell check it and everything. Now I type up like a paragraph of what I want it to say, who the audience is, what my role is. And um, the parameters of like, give it, you know, be be a, a familiar tone or be a formal tone, depending on who it's going to. And it drafts it for me. I go in and I edit the output and, um, you know, change some things around and, and send it off. And I'm done in, in like three to five minutes versus the 15 to 20. And um, <laughs> the, oh, my gosh, speaking of, um, I guess, crossing domains, my my husband actually came and watched one of my presentations and it was the world of prompt craft. And it was all about the prep and edit framework from the book. And he was sitting there and afterwards he's like, Oh my gosh. He goes, I know you were talking about how teachers can use it. He's like, but I could do this to write performance reviews and, and strategy things. And, and the next thing I know is I'm on a, I'm on a plane to Norway. And he's like, will you send me that presentation? And I'm like, sure. So I sent it to him 10 days later. He's told me all this work that he's got done in the last 10 days using chat GPT to where he's using it to assist his work to become more productive, not lazy, to synthesize information using um, very, you know, very human centered skills, critical thinking um, uh, and and crafting these amazing prompts to 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 get the output that that serve you know a purpose for his job and the you know emails that he wouldn't send before or that he wouldn't tag other people on because he was embarrassed because it was a one-liner now the emails are so good and thoughtful that he's he's like cc'ing multiple people on them to see the emails that he's sending out so just it's just interesting I, like I, I've I've looked at it through an educational lens, so looking at it through his lens kind of opened up a different way of of looking at um, other, I guess, other industries. I think one of the that's really well. First of all, it means you're a good teacher because you could you could teach them. <laughs> uh, uh, but I, I think it's it's really interesting that we have this habit too, and it, I think it gets into the kind of the fear based piece is like. People say, oh, well, machines are taking over the world. Uh, you're, we have a habit of assigning human characteristics to something that's not human and then getting freaked out by it when, you know, yep. no matter what happens, artificial intelligence will never feel uh, true emotion the way that humans do. It may, it may be able to deduce feelings of others in, in terms of what they have input, but it's not, a, it's not, it's not replacing any human, right? Um and I think the beauty of what you just described is now your husband's freed up to actually sit down with the people who he's done the performance review on and have a human conversation instead of being so stressed because he's got 10 or 50 or whatever the number is of these damn things to do. And he's, he's, it's ruining, it's eating up all of his energy. Absolutely. And um, just, you know, like if, if you think about, the time that he's getting back to you where he can actually sit down at night at the dinner table with the kids. And, uh, you know, he's, he's not sitting at his desk till 8 PM, like hammering these things out that, that, uh, work-life balance is kind of 
there. I, I wouldn't say that's worked for me because I like it's helped me get a lot more done. So I just do a lot more stuff. But <laughs> uh, yeah, like just just the ability to um, to allow us to connect more with other people. We're not spending our times doing these automated tasks, doing these um, time consuming tasks. It, it's making us become more efficient to where the connections that we have and the relationships that we form, we get to spend more time on those. And I think those are the things that really matter, especially when it comes to students and education. I think this will be a good time to kind of pivot into uh, Curapod. Um, I know that when you did your presentation at USD, uh, you, you know, you were very clear that was not necessarily like a sales pitch for Curapod, but, but, it's a super powerful platform. And um, so perhaps you could share what your role is uh, with with this uh, enterprise and and then also why it's got you so excited. So um, one of the things I love about CurePod are the people. And when I was writing um, the AI Classroom, I got to connect with them, talk with them, and there's a section in the book on CurePod. It was very new when I found it. I didn't know anything about it. And out of all of the AI tools that I found, I, I found the most value in CurePod. So in June, um, they told me they were hiring and they kind of mentioned, Amanda, we want you. And I'm like, no, like, I don't think I can do that. Like, you know, I'm I'm with I'm with teacher goals and I'm I'm doing book publishing and and I, I just don't I don't think it aligns with like where I'm at. Well, the the more um, the more I talked to them, I, we did Week of AI, which was this week long virtual um, conference where we had multiple educators come in and, and just talk on dif- different topics in AI, different tools. I got to talk with them more, and then I met them at ISTE in June, and by August September, I was playing with it more and like. I was more excited about playing with Curapod and building stuff than I was what I was doing. And my, my heart's always been in ed tech. And finally I went back to them and I said, Hey, consider this, my, consider this my interview. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And uh, two weeks later uh, they told me I had the position. So Curapod um, is an educational platform that uses AI. So they're not an AI platform. They're very, very, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, Clear about that. They're they're very, very forward about saying they're not an, they're not an AI platform. They're an educational platform. And, um, they're, they're a lot like for, for listeners, if you've used near Nearpod or Pear Deck, they're very similar. So, uh, it is a tool to help teachers generate engaging lessons with good content and um, assess students and uh, collect data to see where students are in their learning and um, understand what needs to be retaught or, you know, just get a pulse on on where each student is in the classroom. However, the AI uh, features of CuraPod are what separate it. So it, it has the ability to where you can type in a topic and it will generate the entire lesson. You can put the topic, the grade level, and the standard, and it will create an entire lesson for you based off of that. Um, There are brain breaks that you can generate, 
and and you can you can take your Google Slides. So let's say you're a teacher, you're one of those teachers you've been teaching, you're in your seventh inning, and you're like, but I have this file cabinet full of lesson plans that I've been using. Well, you know, not all of those lessons are bad, and some of them can be adapted to um, it have have a little bit of breadth of modern technology like put into them. So if you have a Google Slides deck or if, or if you have a Canva presentation, you can upload it into Curapod and it will curify your slides, meaning it will add interactive, it will use AI to read the entire slide deck and it will, in appropriate places, um, following, um, uh, you know, the way we teach, we start off with, you know, activating prior knowledge. We want to do a formal check-in after we've introduced a new concept. We want to maybe do a writing activity, maybe a drawing activity to assess students' knowledge. And then at the end, we want them to reflect on whether or not they have the content. It will naturally do that. I, I, I say naturally, but it's, it's, it's a machine. It is naturally programmed to do that. And, um, my favorite, favorite, favorite feature is the AI feedback, which is one of the uh, one of the tools that I demoed um, at at Q in San Diego. So there's this Oreo lesson plan that I created that's geared toward third grade students, and it's all about opinion writing. They have to write an opinion piece, and it kind of introduces what that is. It has a word cloud where they have to like, what do you think of when you think of a, an opinion or an opinion opinion writing. Um, brainstorming, they have to draw a topic they might be interested in. They draw it and then they get to share and vote. One of the things I love about Curapod is the voting feature because no matter how many students are sitting in that classroom, um, Curapod is not student led or teacher led, it's classroom paced. So mm-hmm. one of the focuses on it is not asynchronous learning. It's all about um, in-person learning. It's about whether, well, it's not in-person. It's, it's about collaborative learning because you can do it virtually or in person. It's about having the conversations about the inputs and the outputs from the AI. So when they write their first sentence starter and they get AI feedback, they are prompted to turn to their friend and do a think, pair, share and discuss that feedback, discuss how that feedback can be integrated into the writing to strengthen it. When they do a drawing piece, they get to vote on the best drawings. So it kind of brings them into um, that conversation with their peers. And each lesson is different based on who's sitting in the room. It's not canned. It's it's uh, personalized and it's reflective of the classroom conversation, therefore classroom pace. Sorry. That so, was- so what? So during all of that that you've described, which is very exciting to me and, and really is the epitome of personalization, What's the teacher doing? The teacher's facilitating, which is um, exactly what they, they're having discussions. They're walking around with students. They're listening into conversations. They're joining conversations. And um, instead of marking up all of these sentence starters and uh, giving, you know, taking the time to to do these writing workshops, the old fashioned way where you rotate groups out and they sit with you. I'm not saying that you don't do that now. I'm just saying that the AI makes that writing workshop more efficient to where every student in three seconds has gotten feedback where they're at. And according to that standard, because the, the feedback expectation is where you is, is where AI is taught how to grade it. So the grade, I just rewrite the standard into a learning objective and it grades it. So 
um, the the student must must have a strong opening opinion statement. Um, they must use correct grammar and complete sentences. So it's going to grade for that. So while that that comes back and they're discussing it, the teacher's just you know floating around, facilitating, um, doing any I guess remediation that's needed with students who still aren't getting it, having conversations. As you're describing that, I'm seeing the best case scenario, which is what you describe. And then I'm seeing what could and probably is happening, but also happens, by the way, with just having internet in the classroom and the myriad of either instructional or distracting uh, websites, depending on how you characterize them and how they're used, that are already exist. What I often see is you look at an agenda for the day and it'll say, okay, in this period we're doing this, we're going to have a think, pair, share, and then it's um, uh, math. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to cast dispersions towards a certain website, but math, something, something.com time. And then you see kids and they're all just kind of sitting there on their laptops and the teachers may be off doing something unrelated. Um, uh, I guess filling that gap, right. Is really where the training and the orientation comes in that should be able to keep teachers no matter where they are in their careers engaged, right? Because it's going, you're going from being a curator of the knowledge that you're depositing in kids, which is a one-way conversation to mm -hmm. facilitating the use of powerful tools that are in, and those very tools are interacting with each kid differently, depending on the inputs. Am I getting that right? That is, that is absolutely correct. And as you were mentioning earlier, where we have we have the early adopters, we have the middle, and then we have the stubborn, um, you know, ostriches. They put their head in the sand and they don't want anything to do with it. Um, that's kind of like how our classrooms are structured in terms of uh, our learners. We have uh, with the with the cheating metaphor, I have a GPS system of a car that hits every stop sign that is a standard, and it gets to the destination, which is the project. And um, that's if they're on grade level. And my metaphor is I have kids who take that car into last year's standards. They do all of this with, uh, with AI. Um, it allows us to uh, differentiate that feedback and really, you know, provide support to the students who need it. And there, there's just, there's just multiple levels of students in the class. And uh, when I was, when I was teaching, for example, I had a student who was a gifted writer, like super, super gifted. And I was doing one-on-one, -on -one, you know, writing where I'd read through and I'd, I'd like go through their sentence structures and I'd teach them how to make better compound sentences for uh, coherence and also readability. And this one student I had, Eleanor, she was seventh grader. She'd always just gotten an A on her paper. Just, they just put an A on there. And, um, I went through and I spent a good amount of time with her going through the first three paragraphs and I'd move on and go to the next student. And it take me a week to get through a whole class. This does it in four seconds. But Eleanor, who just got that A on her paper, when I actually spent time to give her constructive feedback, uh, she got teary eyed and she's like Miss Fox. She's like, I've never had a teacher sit down with me and teach me, you know, model how, how to do this. And she's like, they've just given me A's. And I was like, I, I kind of thought about that. And I'm like, wow, like 
sometimes we spend so much time teaching the standards to the middle, remediating the kids who are behind, that our, our gifted students, our students who are above grade level kind of get left out. And the, be- the beautiful thing about AI in this aspect is that it, it, it pushes every student. It gives suggestions. It gives room. It gives room for improvement and suggestions, no matter where they're at in their writing capabilities or their comprehension. So, um, the ability to hit all the device or all the diverse learners that are sitting right in front of you at the same time, to me, was just it was just a wow factor. And I think, and that that's a perfect example too of where the fact that artificial intelligence is entirely artificial and does not have uh biases that may shift from moment to moment the whole discussion about whether the world's uh biases or discriminate discriminatory thinking is programmed into the that's a different thing but i'm just talking about like it's going to grade eleanor the same on a monday morning as it does on a friday night at 11 because it's not tired it's not it's not a half a bottle into to Charles Shaw either, right? And it's, <laughs> it and it also doesn't know that Eleanor's parents are active on the on the on the PTA either. That is correct. You know that that's something I I've noticed. Like my daughter's a junior in college, and I noticed that it seemed like even just over the years that she was in high school. This is not to criticize her high school; she had a great experience, but she very rarely had to write anything long form. And by long form, I would characterize it as like a research paper of five or more pages typed, let's say. And mm. and I get why. Like for, <laughs> for some teacher to have to read that and read multiple drafts of it to really do it well. Like, and it's not it's not UCLA where you have teaching assistants doing your re- your reading for you. So so I think then they then they just default to either something short or something really formulaic. And that's, you know, people go, oh, well, AI, AI is going to make, you know, writing just be so generic and bland. And I go, well, if you l- really look at what gets rewarded right now with its student writing. Five paragraph um, essay. Yeah, it's it's whatever. What, what do English teachers say? Claim evidence. Um, whatever. There's three the three. I, I'm embarrassed. I don't even know. But it's all formulaic. Right. So after a while, they all kind of start sounding the same. And then you go. Okay, uh, are we going to get a Gabriel Garcia Marquez or a John Krakauer or whoever you, your author is? Who you when you read them, you go, "Damn!" Like I, I aspire to write like that. Are we ever going to get that from AI? Qu- questions open, but we're not really getting it from the way we teach kids to write in school, where the humans teaching it. No, um, and oh, I, like Eleanor was a prolific reader. I like I think again, um those those critical thinking skills that be being able to um understand style, to be able to break down what we're reading in terms of figurative language, why it works and how it affects an audience, those are skills that we're gonna continue to have to teach. But um AI is getting to where it can it can emulate authors. If you put in a style of author and you ask it to write something in that style, I mean I got a great Beastie Boys rap. Um, I've had it write things in the style of Edgar Allan Poe, <laughs> uh, you know, and if you, but still in order to get that output, I had to put in the parameters. I had to understand the structure of the text. This text has internal rhyme. It has alliteration. 
you know, these things have to be kind of put into the into the prompt to get the output that that is close to simulating the style of the author. Yeah, it's a little bit like, and then and even then afterwards, okay, so then you have to modify and edit that and think critically about it. And maybe there's some parts that you feel like don't fit. You either have to regenerate or you're going to edit it yourself. I could go in and ask it to create code, uh, computer code, but I don't know how to code. So like, oh, I same. Still, you know, I still have to understand the general principles of what I'm working on. I mean, you know, I remember I tried to teach myself HTML back in the day because I was interested in pro in creating websites. And by the time I learned to do it, kind of, not really, there were already services that, you know, had templates that were already pre-coded. And then all you needed to do was just tweak it. And I was like, wow, that saved me like 12 weeks of work. You know, I see that as a step forward in everything. Likewise, I remember coding in HTML, a tic-tac-toe game in college. And like, and I understand learning the code and everything and that the the end project wasn't the tic-tac-toe game. It was the process of learning what all the code did and how it came out in the end. But like now it's almost irrelevant for me to have to know that at that deep of a level. Right. So like I think AI uh, and, and the point of of my website is to, you know, communicate with people about what I do to um share uh information blogs stuff like that so um i'm still able to do that but because of these templates i don't have to spend all the time learning how to communicate that and put that in a digital form and i think ai is going to allow us to do that with communication and um be more intentional with what we're saying and um reach more people and spend more time doing what we're talking about and instead of generating writing what we're talking about, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, Eric Cross actually, uh, who introduced us, he was fascinating and he talked a lot about students' cultural backgrounds and cultural responsive teaching. And he actually adds a little bit of uh, like a line in his prompts that is reflective of cultural responsive teaching to contextualize uh, content and skills in a way students from certain demographics would understand. So, um, sorry, I jumped off a little no, bit I, different no, direction. I, no, I mean, it's back to the prompt thing, right? What you enter is, it still has to be really thoughtful. It's not like this thing's just going to do all your work for you. Yeah. Uh, it, no. Just g going back to that, that human component and, you know, we can we can use AI, we can put in all these things. But if we don't understand the students who are sitting in our room, if we don't pay attention to their personal interests, their backgrounds, their value systems, um, folding those into our prompts, like especially that cultural responsive teaching. The example he used was he was teaching uh, the force like push and pull yeah. um, to Latino students. And um, he put in a prompt, you know, I'm teaching this. This is the demographic give me an example or, or put it in a context that they would understand. And they used salsa dancing, the push and pull. Mm. And that just, I hadn't even thought about that. It blew my mind. It fascinated me of how, how personalized that lesson was for that specific demographic. So in going to Norway, like I use some, some prompts to kind of understand 
social customs there. So it was it was interesting to just ask ChatGPT a few things about where I was going and and different ways to behave and what was socially acceptable or not. Wow, that yeah, that is fascinating. Eric is particularly thoughtful around those sorts of questions. And he's certainly an early an early adopter in this in this space, definitely. Uh, one of the things that you said in your presentation at San Diego Q was that you were you were talking about the topic of like, is there software that can detect the use of AI? And you pretty much said, you know, there's no foolproof way. And 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 so there, people are always going to find a way around it anyway. The better approach is to actually get to know your students, <clears throat> ask them from time to time to do on-demand writing assignments in class, either hard copy or where you can see them typing and get to know them and have conversations with them because you'll you'll be able to tell pretty quickly whether it's them writing. But is there anything you'd like to kind of add to expand upon that? So, yeah. So the, the first thing I get asked is, how can I tell if a student's cheating? How can I tell if they've used ChatGPT? And I'm like, well, what what great uh, detectors are out there? And I'm like, well, there's this, there's this, there's this. And I go through them all. And then I show them all the tools that students use to uh, trick AI into thinking, oh, we we can transform bot-based written text and make it be undistinguishable from English. And uh, I, I tell them there's, students are already one step ahead of us. Um, so... If, and if they're asking that, that's kind of like a misguided inquiry to solving what the real problem is, which is our pedagogical approach and the way we teach. So right. we need to shift the way we're teaching. Um, like I mentioned on-demand writings, like g- having them write frequently, write often, reading their work, uh, you should be able to identify um, within the first couple months, like where your students are. I, I always start off with and about me, low, a low cognitive um, load activity where they get to write about something they know. And immediately I'm able to kind of get a, a pulse or a baseline of where they're coming from, what where they're coming in at. And um, shifting some of our, our strategies from, <clears throat> you know, single pro- or individual projects or writing papers to more project-based learning, collaborations, hands-on, and this is really uh, the foundation of what good pedagogy is anyway. I think um, AI is just going to be a catalyst that kind of shoves more of the population of teachers into that direction, or at least I hope. You know, I, I do this kind of thought experiment. It's somewhat it's somewhat conniving, I guess. So I've been, this is my 30th year in education, and I remember when we used a chalkboard. And then we used whiteboards, and that was super cool. And then we used eventually these projection things. And then you know, I remember the first time I had a com- computers in my classroom and it didn't really work that well and whatever. And now we're where we are. And over the years, it's become a non-negotiable to have high speed internet access and, and reliable Wi-Fi at all times for teachers and students. Like that's like, that's the baseline. That's like clean drinking water. And so I wonder sometimes what would happen if in schools all around America, we shut off the internet for forget about a day, just like an hour or two. And I think the measure of the effective teachers who know their students, who know the content, would be that they could keep on teaching. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, if you had something planned to give an assessment online, ain't going to happen. 
But should you just go screw it? There's nothing I can do. I'm just going to wait till the cable company comes and repairs it. Um, or is there something else at, on the human level, right? Or, you know, have them read things that they've already written or those sorts of things. You know, to me, that's like, I, I you know, I always think about that as a balance, right? Because otherwise we become, it's not really that that technology is taking over, but that we start to rely on tools 100% that we that didn't even exist 10 years ago, five years ago. Like I remember when the first iPhone came out and everyone's going, ah, no one's going to want to type on a screen that doesn't have buttons on it. Well, okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know? And so I I think that in the future, the the effective teacher will be judged also by that. What do you, what do you think about, about that? Well, um, that's, that's a good question. Uh, So I've obviously been been from chalkboards to AI um, with you, and um, I there's been plenty of times I've had the the best digital scavenger hunt or, or digital activity planned, and then all of a sudden the internet goes out and like it's out for a day. So like like you said, um, it causes you to pivot, and we have to adapt to. Um, relying on the human resources in the room, which are our students, and still being able to teach that teach that standard or teach that skill. Um, I, I think all skills can be taught without internet. It's just, it's just a, like you said, there's a lot of teachers that don't know their content. There's a lot of teachers that rely too heavily on technology. And it's because I think that is a, a, a product of a system where teachers are overworked and the amount of content we're expected to get through um, in a year and the pacing guides are, are like overwhelming, um, which, which allows, you know, internet has enabled us to, to, to get through all of this, but at the sacrifice of us truly being experts of our content, unless, unless we've been teaching for the same content for five, 10, 15 years. And, um, I don't know about you, but I've I've flipped grade I've changed grade levels and content areas almost every year I've taught. So I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none when it comes to content. Um, I relied heavily on so the last year of teaching and my, my in 2022, I was partnered um, with someone who had been teaching history for 30 years, and this was my first year teaching American history. And I had all the cool tech stuff and I, I like, I had figured out how to use it to uh, disseminate information and to assess students in fun ways. Maggie, Maggie, Maggie's not liking this question. Um, and, uh, but I didn't know the content. So uh, the two of us would pull our classes together and I would uh, like, we'd collaborate and play to each of our strengths and create these kick-ass lessons that um, that leveraged his like amazing. Uh, his name was Paul Vale. Um, he's here in Louisville, Kentucky. His amazing content knowledge. Like he would, we would yeah. stay at school sometimes until seven eight p.m. and he'd lecture to me on. Uh, he'd give me he'd give me the lecture and draw the diagrams on the whiteboard, and then I'd I'd like look at it and envision. Well, manifest destiny. We can have them play Oregon Trail and then make their own video games. Um, you know, you know, from the perspective of the marginalized voices during, you know, our our trek to California. And he's like, I don't know how to do that. I was like, I'll take care of that. But um, 
shifting forward to um, to internet, I, I think it's become a tool and a superpower that sometimes when taken away, it feels like kryptonite. Right. I don't yeah. know if I answered your question, but oh, you I did. You did. elaborated on it. No, you did. You did. Yeah. My, and my question, every time I bring it up with my staff, people look at me like I'm crazy because they can just envision. They're like, why would you even want to entertain that idea? And I go, because I like thought experiments. Um, so you mentioned marginalized voices and and um you know we i'm not sure what the school district uh makeup is where you teach but obviously all across america a high percentage of students are uh, underprivileged kids come from uh, families really in uh precarious financial situations etc how do you envision the digital divide in the context of ai like is this going to be something that in 10 years a, a white middle class kid in who's now a professional has been seamlessly using these tools since they were 12 13 and they this is just second nature to them whereas a, a student who is born into a very different family background and socioeconomic background will not even be starting or uh or i guess there's that and then how can we make sure that there's equity that that really depends on the schools and the districts that are adopting. I think those that those that aren't adopting AI, they're not they're not they're the, the ones that are going to be reactive instead of proactive. Which I think we're all kind mm-hmm. of being a little bit reactive at this point because it, it. I mean, technology like it hits and it hits fast and it changes the world overnight. I mean, th- there's this there's this uh, video on the internet and it's students on a stage and they have a cur- curtain dividing them and you have one group of students that have textbooks and you have one group of students that have the internet and computers. And there's a, there's like a panel, it's like a trivia game. And there's a a panel of people up in the front. They can't see on the other side of the curtain. They ask a question as the students are flipping through the book on the left-hand side, the students on the right are spitting out the answers and and it happens like three times. And the students on the left are just discouraged. They're like, they're throwing their hands up. They're looking, they're like, how are they so fast? And um, I, I think when when we uh, when we are early adopters, when we give them these skills, when when we embrace digital and media literacy, we're bridging a gap. I think AI is uh, so. When I was in San Diego, I got the opportunity to have dinner with the former. Uh, he he worked for Google, and he's the former CTO for MySpace, hmm. and he's developing U.AI which is a platform that allows just about any teacher, any person to go in and build an AI powered anything. It could be a, a parenting guide of like, you can put in your kids' names, their information, and, and then you could put in a context of like what a situation is and it'll teach you. I think um, one of the things that he said that resonated with me is we've always talked about personalized learning and personalized education. And now we have the power to disseminate it and democratize it for the masses, where before it's been a struggle of, of how do we how do we do this? Even even when I was at the STEM Academy in 2014 with iTunes U, we had these lessons and these units, these amazing problem-based units that we had designed that they carried in their pockets. But that personalized tutor, that personalized chatbot, these that are these these tools that are programmed specifically for students' individuals individual needs, 
their um, accommodations. I think the future is going to be um, a future where that becomes normalized and ubiquitous. It's I'd never thought of this. That's why I really love this podcast very selfishly. Uh, but I'd never thought of the to adopt or no adopt as an equity conversation. Um, but when I think about, and you brought it up and I really appreciate that. When I think about like New York city schools with whatever, a million kids or whatever it is that they first came out right away to ban the use of AI, right? Like chat GBT or something. And then they re- reversed course. And we've seen that around the country and you go, Oh my God, in a district with that much disparity, right? Where you've got mm-hmm. kids from million month, you know, millionaire families all the way to, to uh, really living in tough situations. Like, the rich kids are going to get it anyway. They're just, they're going to get it on their iPhone 15, like, like, right. And so they're exposed to it. Their parents use it in their law office. So the the school may ban it, but they're going to get it anyway. And, mm-hmm. and whereas other students in more precarious situations won't. Um, what we're doing at Einstein, Albert Einstein Academies, we're, we have a working group, like a thought uh, partner group where we're working on, um, coming up with a, a it's I'm, I don't really even necessarily like the idea of policy because that seems like prescriptive from a board, but more like a set of principles around the use of AI a, across our campuses. Um, and the challenging thing is the ship is moving so quickly that like every time we turn around, there's another tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is, have you heard of best practice around that organizationally? I know you work with big school districts or some of them coming up with guidelines for usage. Yes. Um, so actually, that's um, I'm working with five different districts in, in uh, Michigan right now. And part of what we're doing is revisioning that ethical academic integrity policy. Okay. For And then having teachers define that for their class, looking at predetermined roles that AI will play. Um, that are that are okay at how students cite it, and then one of the things that I've recently discussed Birmingham schools. I just put together a proposal for them, and ironically, I have Otter AI in our in our Zoom call. Yes, I noticed that. So Otter AI creates a transcript of our entire chat, and it will uh, allow me to download that transcript. I took their proposal on that and I threw it in the chat GPT and I told them this is what I was going to do. And it's going to generate a proposal with everything we discussed, the talking points, what they want, and then the task force that they put together to create a new proposal, which I would go in and then edit and customize based on um, what I'm able to do. And, And part of that was actually building an AI tool repository, which there's a chapter in the book that has 30, hmm. 30 something tools in it that, that I've personally vetted and played with. But um, we're going to create a district one um, that kind of follows district guidelines with COPA FERPA compliance, how student data is used, um, whether it's a teacher tool or a student facing tool. Uh, and, and I think when we're looking at ethical use cases, when we're looking at vetting these tools, it doesn't need to be just an administration issue. It needs to be a conversation between administrators, between educators, between students and all stakeholders um, and and community members, because we need to not just think about how it's being used in education, but also 
you know, what what do we value? What do we want our students to learn? And what do what do we want them to come out of their education knowing? And right now, with AI being so new and taking off, like you said, there's a new tool every day. There's a new educational tool every day that, oh, this just came out and it's amazing. And we play with it and you know, we we fold it into our our teacher toolbox, but um, we we need to make sure that we're having conversations that we're collaboratively building, like what we're using, and and we're coming upon this this idea of what future education needs to look like and how these tools play a part. It's no no surprise to you that education is often still really siloed, right? By mm-hmm. content, grade level, senior versus junior faculty and all those different dynamics that happen. And I could see where the the hard hardest part about that work that you describe is to have the collaborative piece across a campus or across a system so that you don't have pockets. You know, if we don't address it proactively, my fear is we'll have pockets of the early adopters are they're already using it, right? The air crosses the world are already using that. Then the big middle is trying to figure out what to do. And some of them are asking a lot of questions about, do I have permission to do that? What do I do? I don't know. And then you get the other ones who are just hoping it, it goes away. Um, we know it's not going away. It's going to be here. It's part of our lives now and and will be ever changing. Um, you know, when the automobile started, I remember my grandfather, my maternal grandfather was born in 1910. And he, so he remembered the first Model A or whatever it was, Ford in his town in upstate New York. And he used to tell me that, yeah, he was like five years old or something, like 1915 or somewhere around there. And people were saying that the car was never going to take off because it was too loud and um, it scared the chickens when they drove by and everything. And, oh, yeah. and, you know, and by the way, like the people who shooed horses and the people who cleaned the poop up in the street and the people who, sell the oats to feed the horses like what are they yeah they're going to be out of work right and it's like well we know how that story turned out Mm -hmm. Uh, and so i you know i you and i should talk offline about you know getting some input uh for you know getting some of your expertise and input as to the processes we're going through um we're in the early stages i i called for a working group about six months ago on this before a lot of people even um, saw it coming. Like I just, I don't know where I, I chat GBT version, whatever it was, like one of the early ones that was pretty hinky, but I was, I played with it. I was like, oh my God, like we need to, we're going to need to have a collective approach. Otherwise this thing's going to divide us up. And, and it's very confusing to kids, right? Because imagine in one classroom, you can have unfettered access or some classrooms got cure pod, and then the next classroom you go to, they're like, nope, you know, there's no, no, you're not allowed to. That's cheating. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, a common. So I think um, number one, if you're banning it, you're you, uh, districts that are banning it. I I do firmly believe they're they're part of the equity divide. Um, two those who aren't banning it need to have these conversations and come up with a common policy and a common nomenclature around um, what they're calling it, what tools they're using, how they're using it. And, and just, you know, at the very least for your teachers, give them the PD, give them the exposure, because as, as, uh, as teachers, like they need to understand the power 
I think first to be comfortable with understanding how students are using it or, or can use it. And then, then you have teachers that like, oh yeah, you know, ChatGPT wrote all my lesson plans and did this, this, and this, but no, no freaking way. My students can't use it. That's cheating. It's like, okay. Like. Are, are you seeing, and I don't want to put you in a difficult spot. <laughs> are you seeing situations and contexts around America and perhaps internationally where teachers unions are pushing back on the concept of AI thinking it's somehow going to replace adults? Um, Yes. Um, I, I think teachers um, and, and just uh, marketers, because you've got like the, the marketing, which honestly the aren't very good book illustrators are really worried. Uh, we've had the, the writer's strike in Hollywood. We've had, there's been a lot of industries that have had pushback against AI because of uh, the potential for it to replace them or um, not have, a significant place in their profession. It, it, it's interesting. I so I asked AI to generate questions to for our conversation today. And and I've kind of stuck to the questions today, but I've been scrolling down and kind of you and I both been pivoting to flow following the flow of conversation. Mm-hmm. And when I look at the questions, they're they're okay, like they're okay, right? Um, but they're not nuanced, and so I think that the if I and I don't podcast for a living, I have a day job, but if I did podcast for a living, uh, my skill would come in artful interviews, and no uh, no artificial intelligence is going to be able to have David and Amanda be like tell us when to riff on something that makes this conversation interesting. Right. So I think today has been a great microcosm of the debate, right. Which is like certain parts of today um, we were, were created by a machine, right. Interview questions, whatever Um, we could be having a transcript of our conversation and chat GPT would summarize it into, you know, 200 words or whatever. Okay. That's useful. But it doesn't really get to the heart of the conversation and the nuance and the, the expertise that you bring to the table and your wonderings and my wonderings. And um, I think this is how it's going to be in the future. Um, you know what? Um, here's what I'm going to do, David. I'm I'm going to take your questions and I'm going to generate answers in chat GPT. And I'm going to okay. send this to you. Okay. That's and, uh, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, I, Hopefully I'm not proven wrong. No, then I'm going, then we should do a, a transcript side by side. And uh, yeah, uh, just just kind of as humans, we naturally digress and yes. we follow conversational crumbs. Yes. Whereas AI is more straightforward. And, and so what I'm going to do, gosh, I, I'm going to be interested in reading this too. I'm going to generate answers to all your questions. And then after this, I would love to see the transcript and do a side by side comparison. Oh, that'd be cool. That would be very cool. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. Like, podcast versus yeah, podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> when, when you when you when you listen when you record human human conversation and you transcribe it. I learned this with my doctorate. 
I paid someone, I paid a court stenographer to transcribe it because AI didn't exist. AI would have saved me like $2,000, but whatever. And so I got the stenographer to, to verbatim transcribe and type what was said. And I noticed that seldom did either of us actually complete a sentence. And we stop, we put, we start again, we pivot, we jump around, we have these non sequiturs, we come back to the point. And that makes it human, but it doesn't make it really efficient. And so I think the beauty of of some of these artificial tools is they're they are they're not subject to the the wandering brain syndrome that we have as Homo sapiens. And um, you know, in drafting an email, you want to be efficient, succinct. Exactly. Yeah, it's so, annoying as hell when people go. They write a wandering email at the end. They go thoughts question mark. Yeah. So um, there's definitely uh, 100% uh, applicable uses for AI that that makes sense and that I that I use it for, you know, every day. But yeah, I, I do like the conversational mode and and the wondering minds of humans because, yeah. you know, like uh, questions and comments that you have spur anecdotes and thoughts and, and experiences that we each have that. I think enrich the conversation with, with that human experience. And that's something that a bot can't give you. That's right. Yeah. I, I just have a couple more questions and I've really appreciated your, your time and your generosity, especially because you're probably wondering what time of day it is in your brain. Um, Cause you've been traveling so much. Um, it is, it is 12, 12, uh, 13 in Norway AM. So well, I'm still on twelve. I'm still on that time. <laughs> oh, so you're you're about to, but then where you are right now is only like six something. Seven. It's seven thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there anything that that I've missed in today's conversation that you would like to add um, for the listeners? I I will have information about how to follow you on social media, where to where to obtain your books, um, the Curapod. I'm assuming. Folks can just go on. I think that they have like a trial membership. How does they, that work? They do. They have a freemium that that's pretty awesome. You can use the Curacon all caps promo code to get three months free of Curapod Premium, yeah. and you can find me at Amanda Fox STEM on Twitter and the AIClassroom.net for um, more information on professional development and just you know. I'm hoping to get my blog up and launched and I have already, I've already written like five or six AI assisted, <laughs> but uh, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. So uh, you can be an, an expert in the space, but we're all novices as well. Right. Because it seems like it's just been sprung upon us. We know that artificial intelligence has been working behind the scenes for a long time, like self auto, you know, lane correction and all those things in cars and you know Siri, those, alexa yeah Siri and alexa we've been teaching them even the even the uh, captcha the those annoying is this a tree is this a lamppost those are those my, were, my example is is this a chair which apparently i got wrong and i failed the, the, the test of humanity that day <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so those are they've been doing that for a long time right so it's only with the advent of like a chat GBT and it's kind of thrust to the forefront, but um, really exciting times to be in. I, in in preparation for today, I was trying to think back to 
my first exposure to technology and education. And it makes me chuckle because I was like, I don't know, we're talking probably late 90s, like 96, 97. And I went to a workshop at the County Office of Education. And the topic was using the internet in education. And literally we sat in the computer lab because that's what we did in those days, right? We all had computer lab. Well, we didn't have one, but the county had one. And they showed us how to enter the URL and the difference between whitehouse.gov and whitehouse.com, which obviously one is the government. Yes, one is the government and one is an adult content site. And I remember like, you had to type in the URL, you have to like www dot whatever. And God, how far we've come in that amount of time. And that's whatever, 20 years or so. Um, I, uh, my first experience was in first grade. Um, as a student, I got to play Oregon Trail. We had a one computer in the classroom. So one of us got the pleasure of dying of dysentery at a time. By the end of a month, we all got to experience it. So fast forward to 2022, and um, I let all of my students experience dying of dysentery, snake bite, fjording the river at the same time. (laughs) So instead of one dying off, everybody died off at the same time. And then we made a TikTok video and a Padlet graveyard of all of our epitaphs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a... It's an interesting, interesting time, and who knows what it's going to be in another 20, 25 years. Um, but I've really appreciated our conversation um, today. And is there anything you want to add to this conversation? Then I have one last question for you. Is it the lastly, what's the main takeaway question? Uh, well, I was going to ask you the billboard question. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm going to let, um, I'm going to do the lastly, what's the main takeaway you hope educators will gain from reading the AI classroom. And I'm going to let, oh, chat, yeah. I'm going to let chat GPT answer it for me. You're going, you're going to, you're going literal. I'm going like, I'm a middle-aged man with attention deficit issues. You're going like literal. <laughs> okay. What, what's AI say about our last question? A- AI said the main takeaway we hope educators gain from reading is empowerment, which is on point. We, because the whole point is to empower teachers with this new technology. Um, we want educators to feel confident in integrating AI into their classrooms responsibly and effectively. By providing practical insights, real-world examples, and ethical guidelines, we aim to equip teachers with the knowledge and skills needed to navigate the AI-driven future of education. Ultimately, we hope this book inspires a new wave of innovative, student-centered teaching practices that leverage the full potential of AI while preserving the essence of human connection and education. Good job, AI. Did the, AI really wrote that whole thing? It did. It okay. did. I give up. <laughs> I give up. Um, wow. Okay, well, there you have it. You've got the author, the real human author, and then you've got AI. And and um, so really appreciate your time. I have a question to close out today's conversation that's not on the list. Uh, so you have the opportunity to create a billboard on the side of whatever your local freeway is uh, there in Louisville. Um, and you're, you get to have a billboard that tells the world about the potential that you see uh, to help kids learn uh, through the use of AI. What does your billboard say as people are flying by at 70 miles an hour? What is, 
What does Amanda's billboard say? Um, I would say dream with me. Mm. Um, the best leader I ever had uh, was my principal at the STEM Academy. And he always, uh, you know, he he got to pick his staff and hire everyone. And it was just the most amazing group of educators I ever worked with. And one of his questions was a blue sky question. He'd ask people, um, what is what is your ideal classroom look like? What would it be equipped with? What what would you put in it? And it was just to see that people could dream. Mm-hmm. And he said, Amanda, always surround yourself by people who are willing to dream. Mm-hmm. Because if they if they share the same dreams and they dream with you, then they they can t- take the leap to reality. So dream with me. Wow, that's a really appropriate conclusion. You surprised me. I didn't think that was going to be it. I thought you were going to go AI. So it's a, it's a fundamentally human uh, response because we know that only humans dream, right? So thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Superintendent's Hangout. You can follow me on Twitter at DVS1970. Please be sure to share this show with friends and family on social media and in the real world. Thank you to Brad Bacchial for editing and production assistance and to Tina Royster for scheduling and logistics. Thanks for hanging out and have a great day. 